All right, Colossians chapter 3. Let's take our Bibles and turn there. Colossians chapter 3. And if you've been wondering where Pastor Dave is, he's on vacation for another couple weeks, and he's enjoying the nice, warm California sun this week. Colossians chapter 3, I've been reading from verse 18 to verse 25. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Let's pray. Father, this morning again, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for that we're able to have it in our own hands. And thank you, Lord, we're able to hear it, and we are actually able by the Spirit of God to do it. And so I pray that we would, Lord, be able to carry out the word of God every single day of our life. And I pray that you would be honored as we grow and mature in Christ. So Lord, get us out of the baby nursery and get us back on our feet as young men and let us start walking like spiritual fathers. And I pray that for all of us in Christ, I ask it, amen. I'm going to focus, as I did last time, on one specific passage of scripture. Verse number 21 of Colossians chapter 3. Now, before I get there, I want you to notice the first word there. It says fathers. Fathers. Now, last Lord's Day, we learned that children who are controlled by the Spirit and who are word-filled need to be aware of their responsibility in their action to be obedient to parents and in their attitude to honor them because that is really a place of blessing. That's where God is honored the most, and that's where the person themselves is honored the most. This Lord's Day, I'm concerned to show how important fathers are to the leadership of their families. Now, let me read a quote that brings to mind, to the mind of fathers, the awesome responsibility and power they actually have over their children. And it says this. It says, men, the mere fact of fatherhood has endowed you with terrifying power in the lives of your sons and daughters because they have an innate God-given passion for you. The terrible fact is we can either grace our children or damn them. So men as fathers, you have such incredible power. And you will have this power until you die. So 
In a sense, fathers have the power of life and death concerning their families. So fathers are called to be loving leaders. And leadership in the home means seeing that all members of the family are cared for. Physical welfare, their food, clothing, shelter, all of what is ordinarily, what is ordinarily called necessities must be provided for. Yet, if we were to put a finger on a principal area of failure among fathers or potential failure, it would be in the area of spiritual leadership in the home. The father who abdicates his responsibility for spiritual discipline and training of his children to his wife is putting her in a place where she is not able to bear that alone. If this is the case, she finds it necessary to say to her husband more often than she would like, honey, let's go to Sunday school. Let's go to church as a family. Let's read the Bible. Let's pray. See, leadership in these things often is driven by the wife rather than the husband. However, this role reversal brings with it dire consequences because children learn largely by example. They learn that the church is for women. They learn that they can do without it. They learn that Christianity is not a very manly religion and conclude that it is fine for little children and women, but men can take it or leave it. Now, yes, Christ is presented in Scripture as a real man, the very God that he is. See, Jesus experienced the blessing of a quality life where I ended last time saying Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. You see, Christianity is actually a manly religion. It has a savior who was so much a man that he died. He did not fear death. He went to the cross to bear the guilt and penalty and wrath of God in the place of his people. He was a man, a man who loved so dearly that he was willing to give his life for his, his people, the church. And those, of course, who put their faith and trust in him find life through his death. So fathers who seek to imitate Christ's loving leadership, they must be real men who are willing to do what they must to be examples of Christ to their families. That fathers who take seriously their responsibility to see to it, children are properly trained with a blessing, which will be a blessing actually to all. Now, we all know that that doesn't happen perfectly. That happens with a lot of flaws. But it can happen as one becomes a Christian and has the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God in their hand. From last week, 
the most basic obligation children have toward their parents is that of obedience. It is about children acquiring the knowledge to live wisely. And, of course, experiencing, when they do, the blessing of a quality life. Fathers have a lot to do with a child's quality of life. Now, as we come to our text this morning, this Lord's Day, a question, questions actually arise immediately from the passage. And I want, again, you to notice chapter 3, verse number 21. It says this, again, fathers, comma. So the questions are, why did the Apostle Paul address fathers? Why didn't he address mothers also? After all, don't mothers from the earliest time in the child's life bear more time and influence on them than fathers do? Now, we can answer that question, yes. However, there are at least two reasons why the Apostle Paul addresses specifically fathers. He does it here, and he also does it in the parallel verse in Ephesians chapter 6. And the reason, the first thing is this, that discipline and governance of the home is given to the father. So the first reason is that fathers are God's ordained head of the home and are the ones whom God has vested his authority for discipline and the proper training of the children. Now, even when the Apostle Paul addresses pastors, young pastors, he says in Timothy that there's a very high standard, and, and I believe that this standard should be a standard for all men. And what is the standard? In 1 Timothy 3, verse 4, it says, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. And then it says this in, in uh, parentheses, and if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? If you can't do the little league, how can he do the big league? Well, all men need to know how to do the little league, which would be their family. And there's a number of ways in which they might manage their own households. Yet in all, the fathers must be in control and be aware of everything that happens in the whole in the home, God holds him responsible. For example, in the passage we read this morning in Deuteronomy 6, fathers are directed by God in that passage as the ones who must answer questions to their children when they're asked. In addition, they must teach their children about God about his commands, about his ordinances, and whatever his, else his word says about what he requires. And it's done how? It's done in a, a formal way, and it's also done in an informal way. But most of the instruction is done in an informal way, as it's addressed in the passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it says, And you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them 
when they sit in your house and when they walk by the way and when they lie down and when they rise up. So this is what our father does. As he's moving around through his day and his kids are following him around, he's teaching them. And he's teaching about the Lord. He's teaching about relationships. He's teaching about them. He's teaching them about sin. He's teaching them about God's redemption. And it's, do, it's done on a normal basis, like you know, driving in the car, sitting at a restaurant, wherever you are, sitting on your couch at home, he's instructing. He's not necessarily getting out a book and says, get your pen and fill in the blanks. No, he's showing them by example. It's a constant conversation and example every day for the most, rest of your life. So that is the first thing, is that the, fa the father is finally responsible for what happens and what doesn't happen in the home. And so that means that he's given the discipline and governance of the home. That's all given to the father. A second thing we find in our passage is that the duty of the father is expressed in a negative imperative. And this is the second reason that, it, it, that is found in our text, why Paul addresses fathers. It is a negative, and it says, and it is what fathers are not to do. Now, I want you to see what it says here. In verse 21 of Colossians chapter 3, it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Now, I, I, I think to myself, I says, wow, that's pretty direct. <laughs> and that's directed at fathers. The, the word exasperate actually means, it's used in a bad sense here, to, to mean to make resentful, to irritate, to rouse to anger. You think fathers have the ability to do that? You better believe they do. But sometimes they do it and they don't know they're doing it. The passage of scripture here says, fathers, you better know whether you're doing this and when you're not doing this. Because it means everything concerning the child and their future and how they're gonna look at a family, how they're gonna look at life, how they're gonna look at the world. So if this action is in progress, the apostle is saying, stop it, discontinue it. It seems it is not uncommon for fathers to fall into this kind of pattern of relating to their children. In fact, in Colossians, they were very influenced by the Roman government, and the Roman principle was, it was called patria potestas, and it what it meant is that fathers had unfettered authority and power in dealing with their children in any manner they wished. However, we see here in this passage the transformative nature of the teaching of the gospel that reminded Christian fathers that God has established boundaries for the use of their authority that God has delegated to them from heaven. And not only that, but fathers are to exemplify before their children how the heavenly father and the Lord Jesus Christ already treats their children. And how do they do that? With mercy, with grace, 
and with love, and yes, with discipline. Even if we go back to the first couple verses of Colossians, we find right in verse number two, it says, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God the Father. So this grace and peace is from the Father, and having God as Father only comes by having Jesus as Savior and Lord. So Christians are children of God and therefore have a new Father, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who loves them and provides everything for them, giving them everything for life and godliness. Now let me just mention again the parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4 where it says simply this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So Paul uses in Colossians the word to exasperate, and in Ephesians he uses the word anger. Now putting these two passages of scriptures together, we get a fuller picture that a father must guard against allowing either themselves, their wives, or any other person in the family or outside the family to provoke their children to anger. He is to guard them in that way. And this includes from Colossians. Remember, Colossians is about exposing false teachers. This has to do with false teaching, too. Because in the backdrop of this bad behavior of fathers is the teaching of the false teachers that could be supporting this harsh treatment. And remember, the two greatest failures of the teaching of Colossians were its disparaging of Christ and therefore distorting the Christian life. So if teaching dethroned Christ is, not only robs him of his rightful place of preeminence, but it distorts all the foundational doctrines of the Christian faith and of the Christian life. And the Christian life becomes merely what? A set of man-made rules and regulations with no spiritual power and no ability to deal with the sin nature to put sin to death. So false teachers and their teaching, if acted upon, will lead people into becoming grace abusers and grace killers. A grace killer is someone who is a legalist. Too many, a lot of rules. And so they opt for giving a list of do's and don'ts to accept, not only to ex be accepted by your father, but to be accepted by God. They don't really leave room for gray areas. Fellowship is based on whether uh, they're in full agreement with the right standards. That's more important, and relationships are less important. Also, there are those who are grace abusers. They give license to people. Listen, very few rules, do what you want, no boundaries. So they go too far and set aside all self-control. They take liberty to such an extreme that they begin serving sin again. So if 
I, as I mentioned last time, the fifth commandment puts parents in, in, uh, in the place in which they are personifying godly character before their children, then fathers should not be a stumbling block before their children by giving them the impression that if they cannot please their earthly father, how in the world are they going to please the heavenly father? That's a very bad impression. So what is the reason in Colossians for this command to fathers? Well, look again with me at the passage because it gives us the reason. Notice what it says in chapter 3, verse number 21. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. So that they will not lose heart. The phrase means don't take the wind out of their sails. It further means to have no spirit or courage, to be disheartened, dispirited, or broken in spirit. We can just use the, the basic word to discourage them. It is when a child loses the will to please his or her parents, giving up, giving up on and writing off their parents' discipline in disgust. So what causes exasperated children to turn their backs on their parents and to close their ears and their minds and even their hearts to their parents. It's the wrong kind of discipline. It's the wrong kind of teaching. See, children feel that they cannot please their parents or their father specifically, and they quickly give up trying choosing rather to be silent. But often when they're silent, bitterly, they conform to the expectations that is expected of them, counting the days or the years until they can be free of his tyranny and, or they just openly rebel. We've all seen this happen, right? It could even have happened in your own personal family. That this, this particular thing. I think all of us, as I was even studying this passage of scripture, I always remember things in my own life in which me and my father didn't always get along. And when we didn't get along, or I, 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 I heard my, him and my mom arguing about something, it kind of turned me off. You know, and I started withdrawing. And I'm sure there's many examples we can give. Uh, when we deal with our parents, how we felt about them. So will our adult children, what will they say about us? Will they say, you never talk with me? You never were there for me? You never kept your word? You didn't listen to me when I was speaking. You were always yelling at me. You didn't understand what I was going through often. You only loved me when I made you look good. You were never satisfied. I never heard, Dad, you were proud of me. 
you always sat in front of some media and didn't pay attention to what was going on. You embarrassed me in front of my friends. You never touched or hugged me. You and mom were always fighting and arguing. You didn't trust me. You didn't let me make my decisions when I was mature enough to do so. You, always, you were always at work, hardly ever home. You never took time to have fun with me. You said mean things that I'll never forget. You told me I never amount to anything. You made my life actually miserable. You were too rigid and unreasonable. You never helped me feel good about myself. You told me to do things that you wouldn't do. And then in the end, when I needed you, you left. I don't know about you, I don't want those things being said about me by my kids. I'm sure there are some in there they could say things, right? About you and I, all right? This is all placed on, in scripture on the Father. So what are some common sense causes that could exasperate children? Now, not necessarily mentioned in our text, but I'm saying common sense. Well, here's the first one. How about under-discipline? Unannounced rules that are made known only after the child has broken them. That provokes exasperation. When rules change day by day, a child doesn't know where they stand. When rules are enforced only at the whims of the parents, and the child becomes confused because that kind of rule is not really a rule, and usually unclear rules and penalties are usually unknown. That exasperates children. So kids finally throw up their hands and say, what's the use in trying to keep the rules? You never know what they are. Or inconsistent discipline. Today I got away with breaking the rules. Yesterday I was overly punished for breaking the rules. What's going to happen tomorrow? Frustrating, unpredictable parents. Parents, you need to be predictable. Your kids should know what you're about, how you're going to respond. So young people, I would like to say this, want rules. They want to know where the limits are. And here's some counsel. Some things that I've learned. The father should sit down with his wife, the mother of his children, and they should come up with a set of rules. And at the same time, the punishment for breaking those rules. And then sit your kids down, age appropriate, of course, and communicate to them the rules and the punishment for breaking them. Why do you do that? So that they will know ahead of time just what will happen. Then the parents are to be consistent in enforcing them. So parents, if you are inconsistent and undependable, you will be disobeying this very can uh, command in the text especially fathers, fathers 
do not exasperate your children. If you do so, that they will, uh, so they will not lose heart. And if you do not keep that, then you will be paving the road to, for them to potentially be provoked in asper, uh, exasperation and anger towards you and your wife. It's really better when you're bringing up kids to have few, fewer rules, to formulate, formulate specific, specific, specifically around obedience, the action of obedience and the attitude that should accompany obedience. For instance, let's make a rule. When, dad, when the dad and the mom tell the child, when I call you, you are to come at the first call. That's obedience. And if you do, you will do well. But if you don't come when called the first time, that's disobedience. If disobedience comes to light, then the child is told that the penalty will be that they will meet the parent at their bedroom door, and then they will receive inside the bedroom, in a controlled way, three whacks with the rod of correction applied to their hind end. That's pretty simple to understand, isn't it? I think all kids could understand that. When I first started doing this with our kids, I didn't know what I was doing. But at that point, I started studying the book of Proverbs, and from Proverbs gave me very good instruction on what to do. And I began to apply this to all our kids, my wife and I, and we were amazed how quickly they learned. And they stopped the behavior that we wanted them to stop. But as a pastor, I have sat, sat down with people about these very biblical principles, show them all the texts that the Bible says, and they says, oh, I couldn't do that. And some even says that's child abuse. Mm, I don't think so. This is wisdom that comes from heaven to the parents. And believe me, if you get your children to listen to your voice early, when they become teenagers, they won't be exasperated. They won't be exasperated. So if the child does not obey the parent the first time, according to the established rule and penalty, right? If they don't obey, who's in charge? The parent or the child? I tell you what, when your kids don't obey you, you're no longer in charge. They're in charge, right? You have given them authority that they don't know how to handle. So you can teach discipline better with one rule properly enforced than with 15 rules that you never really follow up on. Once you get a result from one rule, then you can add a second rule. That's, I think, the best way to do it. I know that even some counselors have uh, written books on that is the best way to do it. In fact, the example we have about that principle is the Lord God himself. 
Well, how do I know that? Well, the Lord only gave 10 commandments for all of life. Only 10. And they're very short, some of them. So they were to be taught, they were to be memorized, and they were to be lived out. And if they were taught, memorized, and lived out today, there would be a lot less war and a lot more peace with people. So in the Garden of Eden, there was just one rule for Adam and Eve. Obedience centered around that particular rule, and the penalty was also clearly spelled out. Adam and Eve were told not to eat of that tree. All the rest of the trees were theirs, but this one tree was off limits. Listen to what it says, and they had one rule. It says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, it says, The Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. And what was the penalty? He spelled it out very clearly. For the day that you eat from it, you will surely, what? Die. You will surely die. So long before the sin, God said, don't, but if you do, this, is, this will be the consequences. And when it happened, God followed through, and man died and plundered the whole human race in the fall into sin. So it was one act of disobedience to God with very clear rule and the penalty of, that, of breaking that rule, and that was, we suffered that consequence today. The same is true when, you, uh, when the Israelites went into the promised land. God, God's rules and penalties and rewards were made very clear. If you read through the Old Testament, you're going to find there's a chapter in the Old Testament about the Mount of Blessing and the Mount of or, and Cursing, and the people would read the blessing, and then they would go back and forth and read back and forth the blessings and the cursings. Why do they do that? You know what? So they would know, what are the blessings? And if I break the blessings and don't keep God's commands, here's the curses. See, that's true. So the blessings of God were spelled out for obedience, and the curses and disobedience plainly listed. All was laid out ahead of time. See, this is God's pattern. God told them that if they sinned, they would be scattered among the nations. He told them the awful siege of the city, that it would be destroyed. He told them all these things long before they entered into the promised land. They knew exactly what penalties were to be and, and what, they, uh, what was to come about if they kept them and if they broke them. So the people failed to obey God's clear command, and when they did, God followed through with the curses. So when our children don't obey, I mean, don't, uh, they disobey, that's very painful. One thing that we cannot do is we cannot change, we, we cannot manipulate their will in the sense where we can make them do what we want them to do. They have their own will. They have their own personality. And mu much of the sorrow that we experience as parents of wayward children comes from the self-doubt and guilt 
that we are prone to feel, feel when there's failures in our children and we ask questions like, what did we do wrong? Did I love him or her too much or not enough? What did we say or fail to say that would have turned his or her heart towards us and towards God? Well, it was John MacArthur who said this uh, when he was writing about children. He says, equipping a child with spiritual truth is no guarantee he or she will follow Christ. I know many diligent parents, he said, and grandparents whose hearts have, made, have been made broken by a family member's rejection of Christ. We can only plant the seeds by teaching and living out the truth. How they respond is out of our hands. Now, as truthful as that is, it is as painful as it is truthful. From the standpoint of human responsibility, both parents and children make choices for which we are held accountable. Ultimately, however, we must rely on God to do in our lives and in the lives of our children what we are unable to do ourselves. What does it say in Psalm 127? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. You know that the Lord has, has to pour out just as much grace to save children from a believing family as an unbelieving family. So we parents are not in control of our children's destiny. We are powerless to create faith in our children's hearts. While we can encourage our children to hunger for wisdom's feast... We cannot make that choice for them. Only the sovereign, Lord, the sovereign Lord can change a child's heart, and that's because as dear as they are to us, our children are sinners by nature. So biblically speaking, there are no, no good kids. We may assume that our children are good, because they aren't in serious trouble and they are reasonably compliant. But such an assessment is based on outward behavior and not the inner heart. As much as we want to believe that our children are good, it will only be from a human standpoint. You're good, but you're not as bad as that other person. So I guess you're good. But we need to realize that ultimately the question is of goodness doesn't have to do with what we perceive or think, but whether our child truly has received Christ as his or her own Lord and Savior. So much grace is, though, available in a Christian home. And if a a father is following the word of God in his Christian home. There, He will be the authority, and there'll be lots of rules, but there'll be boundaries, and there'll be penalties for breaking those rules. But along with that, there'll be a lot of love, 
and there'll be a lot of confidence built into the child and a lot of security and even going with that, a lot of fun. You just enjoyed life. Nobody was perfect in that situation, but you just put God's principles into practice and you saw them work. Now, what are some other causes that could lead to the exasperation of children? I had to think about some of these things. Of course, being overly, uh, overly strict to control your child. You're, you're more like a policeman and rarely give your children freedom. Also, elevating expectations that are not appropriate to the child's makeup or age. Always pushing for achievement and making the child reach goals or do things that is beyond their ability. When they keep failing to reach the goals of the parents' of, of the parents expectations, the child concludes, I can do nothing for them that will be enough. And so what? That's exasperation. They don't understand me. Unjust rules and penalties or responsibilities laid upon a child. What about unreasonableness? A parent who is unwilling to hear his child's case. Instead, parents, as children grow older, allow them to explain their position. It may be valid. It may not be valid. They may deserve punishment, but also they may be right. You know, I grew up in a home where the kids are not to speak when the adults were around. Did you grow up in a home like that? A strong Catholic Polish home. Uh, 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 uh. No, no. So I didn't say much around the adults. And if I did say things around the adults, I better duck. Because I would get... Now, my parents weren't biblical Christians. They had no knowledge of those things. And in the end, at the end, I had a great relationship with my parents. My father came to know the Lord. My mother came to know the Lord. It it was just... But it was a long process, you know? And... uh, you have to listen to your kids when they get to a certain point. You have to listen to them. Even, you know, they may be more reasonable than you sometimes. Comparison to other siblings? Oh, don't do that ever. Why aren't you like your brother or sister? Oh, no, don't do that. Each child is uniquely made different by God. Parents should nurture them based on who they are, their talents, their gifts, their physical and intellectual abilities, and also their bents towards sin. Children are created so different, one doesn't sin the way the other one sins, but they both sin. So you can't treat them alike in that way. If you do, then you're going to break their spirit because they will never be their brother and sister. What about divided authority? Mothers and fathers who disagree on various rules and penalties in the home. They have two different ideas about punishment. And how does it, it results in this. Unagreed rules and unagreed penalties 
when they disagree, well, nothing ever happens. They never carry anything out. Actually, what happens is chaos and confusion. And then children are smart enough to know that when their parents are in agreement, they learn how to get their own way by setting one parent against another. They're smart. They are smart. What about abuse of any type, physical, verbal, or mental abuse? That should never be in the home. It could be, you ever hear of disciple, uh, decimal, uh, decibel discipline? You know, decibel, another way of saying it is yelling. It really just creates frustration and chaos for all. The parent uses decibels to get attention and to increase, the, uh, the decibels increase volume until they finally comply. And the child concludes, I don't have to obey mommy and daddy till they put on their mad voice. And you know, your children knows your voice, right? They know when you're being funny and, and, and serious. They know when you're um, being uh, at the point where you better come or else. But if your children are not obeying the first time, you're not in control. If you have to yell, you're not in control. They're in control. What about the lack of the father's love and nurture, not being an example, always withholding your approval and encouragement, only telling your child when they're wrong, never when they did something right? And then just another one, neglect. No boundaries, no love, which leads to no confidence and security. See, neglect for sure will spell trouble. David, King David neglected Absalom, his son, and Absalom became a great heartbreak in David's life. And us parents really can't afford the price of being so busy that we don't have time for our kids. So that is the negative part of a father. But there is a positive part. Paul did not bring it up in Colossians. He brought it up in Ephesians. And the positive, the duty of a father, is also expressed with a positive imperative. And what is that positive imperative? The imperative is this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 4. Fathers, don't provoke them to anger. Colossians, don't exasperate them. What? But bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Pretty simple there. I'm just going to go through some of these uh, quickly. So parents are responsible to humbly honor the Lord and faithfully obey his word in training their children, although it is true that God doesn't absolutely guarantee success in the response to our faithful parenting. The Bible does make it very clear that parents are responsible to train their children according to God's principles. That is their job. And the first one is to bring them up. And that just simply means to feed them, to nourish them, to bring them up in a good, wholesome environment. And in bringing them up in that environment, to use your power to direct your children so they don't uh, 
and you don't leave it for someone else. Use your power to restrain them. Do it in a calm and a controlled and respectful ma manner. Use your power to test and judge them, to be fair and balanced with them. Secondly, from our text, you're to discipline them. Education by means of discipline. Training by verbal reproof and or argument. That means also applying to their gluteus maximus the needed pressure to get them to listen to your voice. Because a child, by nature, is sin-bound. And so a father needs to reprove his child from errors. We are to diligently discipline our kids in the hope that God will work through our discipline and nurture them and draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ someday. Actually, this Hebrew word in the Old Testament for discipline is really the, the, the discipline or training of the individual in areas where he or she is unruly and does not want to be told. And of course, the parents should know those areas. So he's to instruct them, to train them, to discipline them, to correct them, and many times to do that with the rod when they are younger. And if a parent uses the rod applied in a very controlled and safe and consistent way to the gluteus maximus of the child, the child will listen to the voice of the parents and they will become obedient and they will do it quicker than you think. And then as they get older, you have to change your methods of instruction and admonition and discipline. And when you do that, uh, you learn a child well enough to know what they like and they don't like, and when they don't obey you, you take away what they like, right? Like on a nice, beautiful day, they want to go outside and they play. You say, come over here, sit by the table. You, you weren't treating your sister nicely, and you broke one of our, let's say that was one of our rules. Let's sit down here 500 times. You're going to write straight across on that line, right, I will be kind and nice to my sister, something like that. And, you know, and all of a sudden, and if you go off that line, you have to start all over again. You know, because what happened is that when I did that the first time with our kids, the line started getting like going south. And I said, well, what happened to that line? So I had to change that up a little bit. But it works. But you have to know your children, and you have to learn how to use those things in a very good way. Uh, to be able to adjust them and direct them in the right manner. Because a child, I mean, a child is somebody that you have to apply for the force necessary to cause them to follow your verbal instructions. You have to do that. And also the pressure to hold them back from what they would do if they were left to their own desires. If you said to your kids, listen, make your own meal, eat what you want. Well, what, what are they going to do? Oh, yeah mashed potatoes, string beans, meat, right? No, chips, soda, right? If they continue to do that, their health is not going to do so well. It's, but sometimes that's the freedom that sometimes parents give their kids on all areas, and it doesn't work well for them in the future. It really does not. The Bible says that discipline your son and he will give you rest, he will delight your heart. 
Proverbs 19:18, discipline your son while, while there is hope, and do not desire his death. Proverbs 23, verse 13, do not hold back discipline from your child. Although you beat him with the rod, he will not die. See, the Lord encourages us to train our children because we might be the very means he will use to rescue our children from destruction and protect them from the foolishness that already resides in their own heart. And then, of course, not only are we to bring them up, discipline them, we are, are also to instruct them. And what do we do to instruct them in? Where it says in, in Ephesians, to instruct in the instruction of the Lord, or by means of, like it says in Proverbs 29, 17, correct your son and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. So again, parents, account, parents accountability to develop in their children a taste for righteousness, to develop in their child a submissive and respectful demeanor, to discipline the will toward obedience. And as a parent does that, they're observing their kids. They're understanding that they have a fallen nature and that they're going to sin. They're observing their child's way. Like it says in Proverbs, there's a way right? That, that word Derek is used all over the place in Proverbs, right? There's a certain way about each child. There are certain bents towards, towards sin. There's certain bents towards righteousness. There's certain gifts and abilities. You're recognizing this. So when a child go, grows older, you can give them some counsel on, on what they should do. You know, maybe a child says, you know, I'm going to go to college. And you say to them, you know what? I think that you're so skilled with your hands. College is not going to be a good place for you. You need to go to trade school because you can use those skills in, in a better way to be a plumber or electrician or something else and not college. Hey, we know a lot of college kids today, they graduate with a degree and they're working at Starbucks and McDonald's. Seems like some of the jobs are drying up. So you're steering your child away from their natural bents to sin. And you want to build up godly character. You want to teach your children wisdom from the word of God. You want to instill dignity and respect in them that they would increase in knowledge and stature and in favor with God and men. And then you want to try to remove all tendencies to prejudice. Where it says in Titus to speak evil of no one, to love people to treat people, no matter who they are, where they come from, how they look, how they're dressed, what they eat, what culture they have, to treat them with respect. Because respect will get you a lot of ground to bring in the gospel to them. Right? So even though there is no easy method to ensure well-balanced children, parents are like farmers. Parenting is plowing and digging and raking and planting. It's weeding and cultivating and irrigating and then waiting on the heavens until the harvest. But you never can give up. You never can step back. And even after they leave the home, you're still parenting. Different role. You're more like a, a counselor to them. And hopefully they do come to you for counsel. And that's when they do, that's a lot of acknowledgement 
that you did something that you ought to have done. So here are sort of some, some several ways to get started. Number one, create an environment that is encouraging and healthy in your home. In this environment, children should be able to feel appreciated and cared for and love. A place that they can find emotional and spiritual and physical comfort and protection. Your home should be a haven. It should be a place you rest and enjoy life. If it's other than that, you're doing something wrong. Secondly, create clear rules and penalties to protect from exasperating your children. Let them know where the lines are and show them what happens to people who refuse to live under the wise rule of the word of God and God himself and give them insight and insensitive incentive and encourage him, encouragement. And then thirdly would be to create good reasons and incentives for right choices. If you obey, this will happen. If you disobey, this will happen. And if you do what is right, there are rewards and benefits that come with it. Then, once you do that, let them choose their consequences. And if they choose wrong choices, they must pay for their wrong choices. And I would say this to parents at this point, do not always want to rescue your children. You can't always rescue them. They have to learn that sometimes their choices are going to have consequences that only they can deal with. Always looking over their shoulder, of course. Always wanting to make sure they don't fall too far, right? So, what will our children say? You weren't perfect, but I didn't, I didn't expect you to be. You were always there when I needed you. I always knew you loved me. We, we used to have so much fun as a family. I still remember some of the talks we had. I'm so thankful I had you as my dad and mom. I always knew that I could talk to you. You made me always feel so special. And you actually came to trust me when I was making decisions and supported me. You admit it when you were wrong. And I'm glad you didn't always let me have my way. You gave me room to be myself. You made me feel good about myself. I remember the stories that you used to tell me. I can't believe how patient you were with me. You gave me a love for nature. You gave me a love for people. And you gave me a love for God. I knew I could always trust you. I always knew that you wanted the best for me. You showed me how to care for others, and I was proud to have you as my, my friends to meet you. I knew you'd, you'd love me no matter what. You taught me how to make my own choices. You let me learn from my own mistakes. You knew, I, I always knew you always tried to keep your word. That's really how we want our kids to view us, don't we? 
So fathers, you are given responsibility that comes from God. Fathers, you are to avoid the negative imperative to live in a way where you cause your children to be angry or to be exasperated. And fathers, it is your job to implant in your kids a positive and consistent example of what God requires in the home. And when you do that, everybody's the happier, but also the church is the stronger and the society and nation are stronger because that's the next generation. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word. Lord, it seems like when we, we look at your word, we're just touching the hem of the garment on the wisdom that drips from it. And so I pray, Lord, today that you would bless fathers, that you would give them, Lord, the desire to want to get to the place if they are not doing what your word says to start doing it. And if some men here are not fathers but are future fathers, you would help them to remember the instruction from the word of God. And I pray, Lord, that even we as being in a relationship with our parents, if any of those bad things happened with us and our parents, Lord, help us to be able to have the wisdom to know how to communicate with them now. And that, Lord, you would even take away some of the things that we did that kind of destroyed our relationship. And Lord, please rebuild us with our parents. And for all the young children that are here, I pray, Lord, that I know they have many voices speaking to them from the world, but I pray, Lord, your voice would be louder than all the rest, and they would listen to you, that to obey is pleasing to the Lord because it leads to all other, the, all, really all the rest of the goodness of life. And Lord, give us all wisdom together to help each other, with our, even with our own children, to be able to instruct each other and help each other about based on what we know and what worked for us and how the word of God was implemented, that we can share it with those who don't know it yet. And I pray, Lord, bring it all together so that you may raise strong biblical families and that you would raise strong biblical children who know you as Lord and Savior and are willing to go out into the world and be an example and to be a testimony to the great name of Jesus Christ, that others may hear the gospel and be saved. And I pray this this morning in your name. Amen.